just a reminder to share, like, and subscribe to the show wherever you are listening to it. And please, give it a five-star rating as it helps the show to beat the big tech algorithms. Also, if you love the Red Pill Patriot Show, please consider becoming a patron subscriber for as little as $5 a month. With that, you'll have early access to each weekly episode and exclusive content, including access to the Daily Dose videos and many other perks and benefits. Just visit the show's Facebook page by searching for Red Pill Patriot Show and click on the blue Shop Now button to see all the options for supporting us. And remember, support what you love or it goes away. Thanks, everyone. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. (laughs) Hey there, America. Welcome to the revised Red Pill Patriot Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt. And this is official. We have made the jump from what was the Common Sense Podcast to the Red Pill Patriot Show. I'm so grateful that you are joining me for this inaugural episode under the new format, the new name. And I'll tell you, every time I watch that movie or listen to that line that Morpheus just said about all he's offering is the truth, I get chills. Because that is the focus of this show. All I'm offering is truth. No spin, no buzz, no, you know, we're just getting you the truth. And yes, there's a little bit of my opinion mixed in here and there, but what you hear here is the truth. And speaking of that, with everything that's been going on in the Senate this last week, the hearing regarding the impeachment of President Trump, it's really sparked a resurgence of interest in a question that's bothered me for more years than I really care to, to express. But nevertheless, I wanted to discuss it with you today. Now, what is that question that has been crawling under my skin for the better part of two decades, you may be asked? Well, here it is. I have wondered for the longest time how so many of our political leaders enter public service in Washington, D.C. to begin serving the people, and when they finish or retire, lo and behold, poof, they're magically multimillionaires. Has anyone out there ever wondered that? I know, like I said, I know I have. Well, as I've pondered this, there's been one word that seems to answer that burning question, and it is corruption. And that is the topic for today's episode of the newly rebranded Red Pill Patriot Show. Welcome, 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 like I said, to the Red Pill Patriot Show, guys. I'm so grateful you are here, and what I want to do is let's jump right into it. Let's talk corruption in the political world. You know, as much as I would like to have faith in our leaders, let's face it, they are human, and human nature is by and large selfish, greedy, and only looking out for number one. 
Of course, I totally believe we can overcome that base nature that we were born with and become good people who serve others and look to leave the world a better place than we found it. But there is something about political power that brings out the darker side of human nature, and we see it every day on both sides of the aisle. I will admit that it seems very apparent that the corruption scales lean heavily in the Democrats' direction when we see the activities of Bill and Hillary Clinton, Barack and Michelle Obama, crazy Uncle Joe Biden, and Bernie Sanders, just to name a few. Do I believe the Republicans are guilty of some pretty shady stuff? Absolutely. This is not a partisan show for me. But I think that because it's on both sides, we're not seeing the Republicans draw attention to it. And it's just kind of out there right now. They're trying to keep themselves out of the limelight. For years, I have said the Democrats and Republicans are two sides of the same coin. They are both for expansive government growth and control of our lives, regardless of the sound bites you may hear or the headlines you may read. So what I wanted to do today was take a much closer look at how all this happens and shine the light of truth on the activities of these individuals. Coincidentally, I just read a wonderful book that happens to peel back the layers of dirt and corruption on some of Washington, D.C.'s biggest and richest families. I'll share more with you about that in a bit. But first, let's take a quick listen to the basic blueprint of how those in Washington, D.C. line their pockets to amass huge fortunes. I've been tracing dirty money for more than 30 years. Studying kleptocrats all over the world, distinct patterns emerge. The thing about kleptocrats is that the moves and tricks they like to use each contain the seeds of their own destruction. They can get caught at every stage. In virtually every case, corrupt people took six separate steps to conceal their assets. Take the money under the table, create a financial structure to hide it, move the money into the structure, network with family members to run the operation, cover up their tracks, and last, since it's no fun for the money to sit gathering dust, take the money out and enjoy it. All right, so that is from uh, Jim Mintz. Uh, I found that online, and he really outlined that quite well. And you're going to find out as we go through some of the people that I was reading about that this was literally the playbook they followed. But let's review this, because I want you to understand that these six steps are the basic blueprint that everyone that is enriching themselves in Washington, D.C. has been used, using for years, decades, family generations, I guess. But first, they take the money under the table. Two, create a financial structure to hide said money. Three, move the money into that structure. Four, network, network with family members to run the operation. Five, cover up their tracks. And six, take the money out and enjoy it. Like I said, it sounds pretty basic when you think about it. But could it really, truly be that simple? Well, let's take a look at a real-world experience that happened back in 2017. I know for many people that's way, 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 way far away. Hard to remember in our instant clickbait, instant results society. But back in 2017, hopefully you remember a guy by the name of Paul Manafort. And in case your memory is a little foggy, he was President Trump's former campaign chairman. Here's how he applied these six steps to enrich himself. 
I know nothing about Paul Manafort or the allegations in the indictment against him. I read the Manafort indictment and lo and behold, the allegations match the six-step pattern. It says Manafort allegedly took $18 million secretly from Ukraine. That's step one. Step two, Manafort allegedly created a blizzard of offshore companies with names like Blatilla. They're on tiny islands I bet most people couldn't even find on a map. Then step three, he allegedly started moving the money around. Six separate companies on the island of Cyprus sent more than $5 million to a home improvement firm in the Hamptons. Step four, Manafort allegedly enlisted some of his relatives to help. The indictment says he got his daughter and son-in-law to pretend to live in the real estate he was buying. Step five is covering up your secret money. Manafort allegedly lied to his accountants and to the federal agents about the funds. He used multiple passports, and he, quote, developed a false and misleading cover story, unquote. Lastly, Manafort allegedly brought the money out to play. The indictment says he, quote, used his hidden overseas wealth to enjoy a lavish lifestyle in the United States. And there you have it. Just one quick example of how one person was able to launder, depending upon the report you look at, anywhere between 18 and $30 million. But this is just the tip of the iceberg, and honestly, Paul Manafort's not what I would consider the political elite, although he certainly has rubbed shoulders with many of them. Next up, I want to reveal to you the book I mentioned earlier and share with you a few excerpts that will blow your mind about some of the people currently running to be our next president. But first, I've got something a little humorous for you. America, one nation under God, a land of opportunity and freedom, the birthplace of Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and the nation she bravely represented as she signed the Articles of Impeachment of Donald J. Trump. To properly mark this momentous occasion, Nancy Pelosi signed her name proudly with these unique and beautiful black and gold pens emblazoned with her signature. Now, you can own a piece of history. Remember the impeachment proceeding and the life's work of our first female Speaker of the House with these collector's edition <laughs> near-perfect replica pens. Each pen features the same black and gold style of the original with only minor differences, barely recognizable to the naked eye. These breathtaking writing instruments communicate the utmost in class and distinction and will make sure everyone knows what side of history you stand on. To honor the accomplishments of Speaker Pelosi, we've priced these special commemorative pens with the year of her birth, 1940. <laughs> Think of the national elections you'll be able to overturn with your Nancy Pelosi commemorative impeachment pen. Available exclusively at NancyPelosiSucksPen.com. <laughs> this priceless work of art will remind you of Speaker Pelosi's constantly surprised facial expressions mm. and babbling nonsensical speaking style. Plus, it will forever communicate your lasting feelings towards this true American hero. Due to the incredible demand, there is a strict limit of 5,000 pens per order, <laughs> and no future Nancy Pelosi Sucks commemorative impeachment pens will be sold when demand has been exhausted. So act now. 
These incredible pens are authorized by Stu Does America, loved by patriotic Americans all over the globe, and can be yours now for just $19.40. How will you tell your children and grandchildren about this important era of American history? Do it with NancyPelosiSucksPen.com. So if you are wanting your official Nancy Pelosi Sucks Pen, you can actually go to nancypelosisuckspen.com and place your order today. And just so I give credit where credit is due, that spot was produced for an upcoming show that I am really excited to start watching and listening to their podcast. It's called Stu Does America, and it will premiere February 4th on blazetv.com and on YouTube. In fact... I would recommend that you hop on YouTube now and subscribe to the Stu Does America page so you don't miss a beat of what's yet to come. It's going to be some good stuff. All right, now let's get back to the show, guys. So <clears throat> earlier I mentioned a book that I had just finished reading, and uh, it's incredible. It's amazing. And it's called, the title of the book is Profiles in Corruption by Peter Schweizer, and it was released on January 21st of 2020. It is absolutely hands down fantastic, and most of what I will be sharing with you came from the book. I highly recommend you pick up a copy because that will, uh, that little that I do share with you today doesn't even begin to do the book justice. It's a good read with lots of wonderful information. And each chapter in the book focuses on some of the most notable Democratic progressives in the public spotlight today, including Kamala Harris, Uncle Joe Biden, Cory Booker, Elizabeth Warren, Sherrod Brown, Bernie Sanders, Amy Klobuchar, and Eric Gassetti. Now, for today's episode, I don't have time to focus on all those, so the remainder of the show is going to be focused on Uncle Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, as they are the two apparent frontrunners in the polls right now. And actually, with the Iowa caucus being tomorrow, um, one of those two, I think, is probably going to get the, get the nominee there, the nomination, I should say, there in Iowa. So let's dive right in and start with good old Uncle Creepy Sleepy Joe Biden. Joe Biden. Good old Joe has been involved in the political world since he was 29 years old when he won a Senate seat from Delaware in 1972. He served in that position from 1973 to 2009 when he resigned to assume the vice presidency. Over his 36 years as a senator, it would appear that he has amassed quite a bit of knowledge as to how government works and what he can do as well as how to hide it from the public eyes. In fact, I would say that Joe has mastered and perfected the six steps blueprint outlined earlier in the show. Most of the Biden family partners are often foreign governments, where the deals occur in the dark corners of international finance and include countries such as Kazakhstan, China, Costa Rica, Jamaica, Ukraine, and good old Mother Russia. Surprisingly, sometimes the deals have involved U.S. taxpayer money as well. Now, the players involved with the Bidens, well, they tend to be more of your kind of sketchy companies, violent convicted felons, foreign oligarchs, and other similar people who typically expect something in return when transacting business. And the reason they want to transact business with Joe Biden? Well, it's because of his political influence and connections. Various Biden family members have been awarded particularly lucrative business dealings that have certainly enriched the family, despite those family members having little to no knowledge 
of the business with which the money was made in. Now, in an interview I'm going to play for you later on in this part of the show, you're going to hear the author refer to what he calls the Biden Five. And these are the five members of the Biden family that have benefited the most from what I call quid pro Joe's very lucrative political career. They include his son, Hunter Biden, his daughter, Ashley, his brother, James Biden, his brother, brother, Frank Biden, and his sister, Valerie. Funny thing is that Joe Biden, when he was asked in 2019 about the business dealings of his family, he was on the record saying, I have never talked with my son or my brother or any else, anyone else, even distant family about their business dealings, period. Big old honkin' lie right there, Joe. Looking over Joe's political career that started at a very young age when he was running for the U.S. Senate, his brother James, who was only 22 at the time, was his finance chairman and his sister Valerie was his campaign manager. Valerie would go on to lead each of his political campaigns for the next three decades until he ran for the vice presidency with Barack Obama. He has, on more than one occasion, stated that he was willing to, quote, prostitute himself, end quote, by giving the answer that big donors wanted in order to secure the funding for his campaign. So, not surprisingly enough, Joe's a bit of a chameleon. He'll tell you what you want to hear as long as you've got money. Now, while Joe was in the Senate, lots happened that really enriched his family. In particular, some of the key things that Joe did. Well, <clears throat> first of all, he voted against a bill that would require credit card companies to warn customers about the perils of only making the minimum monthly payment. He was only one of five Democrats to do so. During that same time between 2001 and 2005, Hunter Biden, his son, was receiving consulting fees from NBNA Corporation, a major Delaware bank and credit card company. While sitting on the Senate Judiciary Committee, Senator Biden also worked hard on legislation to deal with asbestos damage lawsuits. Remarkably, during the same time, Bo Biden was working for a Wilmington, Delaware law firm that was handling asbestos litigation cases. Do we see any correlations? Well, we're just getting started. In 2001, Hunter Biden jumped into the game with both feet when he became a lobbyist for the firm Oldacre Biden and Bel Air LLP, with an office on Connecticut Avenue just blocks from the White House. The founder of the firm, William Oldacre, also served as a legal advisor to Joe Biden. The firm specialized in appropriations lobbying, which meant shaking money loose from the federal government for their clients. And they represented lawyers, American Indians, as well as the healthcare industry were the three main groups that they, they worked with. Part of their job was submitting targeted spending items called earmarks to Biden's office. This arrangement worked really well until 2006 when the Senate passed an ethics bill which required senators to verify in writing that they or their families would not benefit from these earmarks that they were pushing. And I know you'll all be shocked by this, because I was, that when that legislation passed, Hunter had to switch gears and leave the firm's appropriations lobbying firm all of a sudden. Isn't that convenient how that overlapped? But Hunter was not done with lobbying altogether quite yet. An online gambling company by the name of Party Gaming based out of Gibraltar was under federal scrutiny. The Department of Justice had issued subpoenas to more than a dozen banks working with the company and they needed help in Washington. They turned to Hunter Biden to lobby on their behalf. 
Of course, it didn't hurt that his father was the chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and a senior member of the Senate Judiciary Committee with oversight of the Department of Justice. In 2008, when Joe Biden announced that he would be on the Obama ticket as the vice presidential candidate, guess what? Hunter felt it was time to retire from lobbying altogether. Hmm, that's convenient, isn't it? I should mention that, <clears throat> on a side note, a few months later, the co-founder of Party Gaming actually pled guilty to violating the Wire Act and agreed to pay a $300 million fine to the U.S. government. So, let's move on to another family member of the Biden Five real quickly here. Let's talk about Joe's sister, Valerie. Like was mentioned, she ran all of his Senate campaigns as well as his presidential runs in 1998 and 2008. She was a senior partner in a political messaging firm called Joe Slade White and Company. And what's kind of crazy is that there were only two executives listed at the firm. The first was Joe Slade White. And can you guess who the other executive was? That's right. It was Joe Biden's sister, Valerie. <laughs> what are the odds? The firm received large fees from the campaigns that Valerie was running. In fact, $2.5 million in consulting fees flowed to her firm from Citizens for Biden and Biden for President Incorporated during the 2008 presidential bid alone. Keep in mind that the firm of Joe Slade, White, and company worked for the Biden campaigns over an 18-year period. When Joe was selected to be Barack Obama's running mate in 2008, that opened up the playing field for the Biden family to a whole new level. Now there were opportunities on a global scale. You see, the executive branch offered a new type of power to leverage unlike what they had known before. Commercial deals alone, especially for Hunter, James, and Frank, they skyrocketed. With his father now the VP, Hunter Biden launched businesses fused with his father's political power, which led him to lucrative deals with a rogues gallery of governments and oligarchs around the world. And when we come back from the break, I'm going to play for you a very, very important, I guess, very informative interview with the author of the book. Have you found yourself concerned about the censorship that's occurring in social media these days on platforms like Facebook and Twitter? Well, fear no more because the algorithms of Big Brother are no more going to affect you when you take a look at Minds.com. You see, Minds.com is a great platform that's fairly new, and you don't have to worry about demonetization, censorship, or unfair treatment that we have come to expect from Facebook and the other social media networks. See, Minds offers a fully transparent, privacy-focused platform with no bias, hidden algorithms, or censorship. And if you're a content creator like me, you can upgrade to a pro account, get paid for your work, morph your channel into a full-blown website with your own subdomain or custom domain, newsfeed, logo, theme, categories, the works. Minds allows you to leverage the blockchain and crypto payments to eliminate the middleman and maintain autonomy over your revenue streams. So you can say goodbye to Patreon and those companies like that. If you're tired of Facebook holding you back, set up your Minds.com account and be sure to subscribe to the Red Pill Patriot channel right away. All right, everyone, welcome back to the show. And <clears throat> like I promised, what I want to play for you next is an actual interview with the author of Profiles in Corruption, P Peter Schweizer. This was an interview that he did with Glenn Beck. Um, it is rather lengthy, 
But if you found what I shared with you so far interesting, you really want to pay attention and listen to this. So without further ado, let's get to hearing from the author himself. Welcome to the program, Peter Sweiser, best-selling uh, author, uh, the author of Clinton Cash and uh, so many others. This is the abuse of power by America's progressive elite, the ones who all say they're fighting for you. No, they're not. They're robbing you, the American people, blind. Uh, Profiles in Corruption is the name of the book. Peter, let's start with Joe Biden. I was blown away at, it's not just Hunter Biden, it's the whole family. And the story you tell about Joe Biden's brother is remarkable. Yeah, Glenn, it's uh, great to be with you as always. Um, Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, we've talked about Hunter Biden before, his deals in Ukraine and China. Uh, But what you have in this book are what we call the Biden Five. And these are the five family members who all cashed in during this period when Joe Biden was vice president. Um, One of those uh, is his brother, James Biden. Uh, James Biden, um, you know, got a lot of benefits by his brother being vice president of the United States. If you step back to November of 2010, a guy visits Joe Biden. Biden's uh, office in the White House named Kevin Justice. We know this from White House visitors' logs. It's the only trip visit that he makes to the White House during the entire period. Kevin Justice is from Delaware. He's friends with the Bidens, and he has just set up a company called Hillstone International which wants to get into the construction business. So he has this meeting in Biden's office. We don't know what was discussed, obviously. Three weeks later, Hillstone International announces that James Biden, Joe Biden's brother, is the new executive vice president of the company. Now, what's interesting about this, Glenn, is, as we found with Hunter and his deals, James Biden has no experience or background in construction. Uh, he's, he's never held a job in it. He's never been involved in it. Um, but that's only the beginning. What happens next over the next six months is Hillstone International this new company with Joe Biden's brother as the new executive vice president starts landing big contracts from the federal government. They get a contract to build 100,000 homes in Iraq. It's part of a $35 billion reconstruction deal in Iraq. Again, this, this is so, uh, he's a, so he had no experience, but he's a jack of all trades. Everybody in that family is no experience uh, on building, but he had to have vast experience on getting the job done overseas in a war zone, though, right? Yes, right. No, no experience there either. Uh, You know, in fact, when when the executives put up his biography um, on the company website, um, they described that he had, in their words, a unique ability to deal with government officials, and then noted, of course, who his brother was, the vice president of the United States. Um, But that was the first contract they got. They got a contract to do reconstruction work for the U.S. State Department uh, and and others. Um, And again, as always is the problem with this stuff, Glenn, because of the way this corruption is handled. We don't know how much James Biden made. I'm sure he made a lot of money doing this. Um, He's not going to be cheap in this kind of arrangement, but it's the kind of sweetheart deal that you find repeated over and over again with five family members during the time that Joe Biden is president. And Glenn, I've been on your show numerous times. We've talked about corrupt Democrats, corrupt Republicans. Being honest with you, I have never, ever, ever seen a situation with a politician that has five family members that were basically bagging money while, um, you know, they were in office. Give me the give me the worst offender and then tell me about the other family members. Oh, boy. I mean, worst offender is really hard because there's so 
so many examples. I mean, the, the Biden chapter in the book is 60-something pages long. Um, but let's go back to Hunter. Um, you know, Hunter, uh, we talked before about Rosemont Seneca, the deal that he had in China, and we've talked about the deal he had in Ukraine. Uh, he had another uh, entity called Burnham uh, that he set up with his business partner, um, Devin Archer. Um, and we know now from court documents and cases um, that they were, by their account, taking in hundreds of millions of dollars from Kazakhs, Russians, and Chinese investors. Again, all of this happening while Joe Biden was vice president. It didn't happen before he was vice president. It hasn't happened since he's been vice president. So we can all draw our conclusions about what that money was for. But, uh, for example, they talk in in corporate records about uh, a $200 million deal uh, done with somebody named uh, Yelena Baderina. Now, if you go on Google and look up Yelena Baderina, you'll, it'll take you five, ten minutes to discover uh, that this Russian oligarch is widely believed around the Western world to be tied to Russian organized crime. So these are the sorts of deals that, that, that Hunter Biden was doing. We've got instances of his other bug brother, Frank, um, uh, doing deals in Costa Rica and in Jamaica, involved in projects that are getting taxpayer-backed loans. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, Explain that one, because I, I, I talked about that one yesterday. It's amazing. Here's a guy who has, you know, again, jack of all trades. Every member of this family is super entrepreneurial. He he goes to Costa Rica and he gets all these government backed loans to start this, you know, almost like this this uh, you know, super rich community building houses and golf courses and spas and everything else. Uh it's a it's a disaster. Uh and then he decides, you know what? I'm actually an entrepreneur. Uh, in solar energy, and he gets all these government-backed loans for a solar energy company in Jamaica, which also, how's it doing today? Is it really rocketing to the top now? <laughs> yeah, no, you're exactly right. That, that's the pattern here. Um, again, these are uh, solar companies or real estate companies that he started after his brother became vice president. In the case of Costa Rica, you know, it's very, very clear. Uh, Joe Biden flies down to Costa Rica in the, the spring of 2009, uh, really the first president or vice president to be in that country since Bill Clinton went 11 years earlier. So this is a big deal to the Costa Ricans. And Joe goes there and, and talks about bringing all sorts of U.S. government aid, and we're going to help the Costa Ricans and all these things. Well, in the months that follows, his brother Frank is suddenly in Costa Rica, and he's meeting with the president of Costa Rica. He's meeting with the education commissioner. He's meeting with all these government officials. He gets letters of support for this real estate project that he wants to develop. Um, he gets uh, these exclusive agreements with the Costa Rican National Energy Company. And again, this is a guy who has no background in any of this. In Jamaica, you have a solar project that's developed. Uh, he sets up a company called Sun Fund Americas that gets the power purchase agreement, and the project is supported with a $47 million Obama Biden administration taxpayer backed loan. Um, and again, he has no background in, in, in solar uh, energy. So, um, a couple of things. How much of this was known in and around Joe Biden? How much? How much of this would be shocking, actually shocking, to the people in the former administration or anybody on Capitol Hill? How widespread, how well known is this corruption? Uh, I don't think it's that well known, and here's why. I mean, one of the things we talk about in the book, in, in using the words of people around Joe Biden and uh, his family members, uh, the Biden political operation is a very close-run thing. It basically circles around the family and a, and a few other aides. Uh, you know, when he ran for president, uh, his sister Valerie Biden was his campaign manager. Um, we actually talk about her in the book as well, Glenn, uh, how she was running Joe Biden's campaign, and she funneled $2.5 million from his campaigns into her own consulting firm. Um, 
But, you know, to answer your question, I think a lot of this stuff is going to come as a surprise. The Bidens always talk about the importance of family. And look, I believe that's a great virtue. But when you use it to self-enrich your family, you're not talking about family values. You're talking about mafia-like operations. Right, and so, that's precisely what they've done. All right. So let me ask you this, because Joe Biden, uh, you know, he's had tragedy in his life, et cetera, et cetera. You see how out of control his his uh, son Hunter is. Just really a sad, sad case. So do you take away from your research on the Bidens, is is Joe Biden a good parent like Lori Laughlin is that, you know, she does really bad things, but she's doing it for the love of her daughter? Or is he more of a Logan Roy uh, and Hunter is kind of Kendall Roy? I don't know if you watch uh, the Succession on HBO, but. Which is yeah, no, yeah, I'm, no, I'm familiar with it. I, I think that's a great question. Uh, it's always hard to get into the mind of people. Um, you know, we are all about follow the money and paper trail. I think that Joe Biden, um, you know, takes fact, it takes pride in the fact that he is a powerful man. I mean, I'll just give you a small illustration of what I mean. I mean, Joe Biden has said for years that he is the Amtrak senator and he's just regular Joe and he gets on Amtrak and he rides Amtrak, you know, all the time and it makes him a regular guy, which Everybody has heard that story. Well, we looked into this, and we actually found local Delaware press accounts. The other side of that story, yes, Joe Biden uh, did ride Amtrak all the time. But you know what he also did, Glenn? If he was running late, he would call Amtrak and have them hold the train for him. The entire train would be held, commuters be damned, until he arrived. Uh, that, to me, is evidence of the fact that this is somebody who enjoys power. He doesn't mind using power, and he believes that you know, power is something that, that, that he deserves to have. He believes he's doing great things for his constituents and for the country. Why not be able to do great things for his family as well uh, by allowing them and helping them to secure all these uh, deals? How much money do you think has passed through the Biden's hands. It's impossible to know. I mean, it, it's certainly, uh, when you look at all of it, it, it's in the tens of millions um, in terms of, I think, actually to them over the course of years. But it, it could be more than that. And that's part of the problem. So much of this is so murky. And some of it, Glenn, is so intangible. I mean, you know, another story, his daughter, Ashley, uh, this case involving his daughter, Ashley, in June of 2011, Joe Biden ushers these two executives from this new company called Startup Health into the Oval Office to meet with Barack Obama. This company doesn't have a website. They don't even have a business plan. These executives get their picture with Barack Obama. They put that up on the website. Uh, and then the next day, they are uh, sort of the hallmarks of this big federal government conference on health care data. Now, Startup Health is an investment firm. They want to invest in health care companies. That's what they do. So over for the next five years, Startup Health brings its investors together, brings its partners together, and the sitting vice president of the United States, Joe Biden, goes to these closed sessions and speaks to these audiences and briefs them on what's going on in Obama administration health care policy. Um, the, 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 the chief medical officer for that company is married to Ashley Biden. It's his son-in-law. And he described in the interview he gave in this very obscure trade publication how all of this happened. 
you know, I was talking to my father-in-law on the phone. I told him about this company. He said, great, come by. I want to introduce you to Barack. Um, you know, this is the classic sort of inside corrupt deal. And if you could imagine the Trumps doing something like that, I mean, everybody, of course, would, would be outraged in Washington. I would be upset and outraged by it as well. But the Trumps haven't done that. The Bidens have. And yet there seems to be zero curiosity and interest by people in Washington, D.C. for this kind of conduct. Okay, everyone, you can pick your jaws up off the, the table or the floor if that's where they fell to during the course of that interview and what I shared with you earlier about Joe Biden. His family, holy cow, how many millions of dollars have they enriched themselves with through Joe's power? Now, the average American like you and me we don't have that opportunity, and I don't think that that's right. I don't think our public servants should be able to enrich themselves and their families like this. And it's just, it's absolutely disgusting. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back from that break, we're going to get into talking a little bit about Bernie Sanders himself. So I'll be right back here in just a second. We have all seen it before. Maybe it's even happened to you. You tweet out something that's on your mind, and... That's right. The Twitter overlords have placed you in Twitter jail. So much for free speech, right? Well, wrong. There is an alternative and a better platform. I invite you to take a look at Parler.com. Parler was founded in 2018 and is based in Henderson, Nevada. Good old American company. After being exhausted with a lack of transparency in big tech, ideological suppression, and privacy abuse the co-founders decided to create an alternative solution. Parler provides a commenting and social news platform for digital publishers, influencers, bloggers, writers, politicians, and social users to share news, opinions, and content in real time. Additionally, they provide enterprise tools to enhance online blogs, media, and websites with direct social integrations and monetization capabilities. Parler's goal is to offer the world a platform that protects users' rights, supports publishers, and builds communities. They are not regulators. They are not governors. They simply are a community. I cannot recommend Parler high enough as the best free speech social media platform out there for everyone. It's time to take back control from Twitter and speak your mind. You can find and download the app in either the Apple App Store or on Google Play or on any major web browser. Go to parler.com. Once you've downloaded it to your phone, be sure to set up your account. And lastly, make sure you find me by searching for at Red Pill Patriot Show. Bernie, 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 Bernie. Let's talk Bernie Sanders. And to be honest with you, when I think about Bernie Sanders, there's really only one piece of music that really, in my opinion, describes the man. Now, when it comes to Mr. Bernie Sanders, people are certainly divided about his message. His fans consider him a truth teller about capitalism and income inequality, and critics see him as a grandstander and a hypocrite. And I'll be honest with you, in the humble opinion of myself, I agree with the latter. He is definitely a hypocrite. And I think that that my biggest problem with him prior to reading the, the, the Profiles in Corruption book, the, the biggest issue I had was that he, his message didn't jive. 
he was consistent in what he said to the public about socialism and democratic socialism and and you learn a lot about in the book you know where he came from his upbringing and those kinds of things and <clears throat> and kind of his fascination with the Soviet Union and Cuba and other communist countries that were truly uh, socialist or uh, communist but anyways um, he talks all about that in the book but my biggest thing was how is this guy that's talking about communism and socialism and and workers rights and all this stuff how is he so stinking rich um, and that's where the hypocrisy comes in you know Currently, Bernie Sanders and his family, but Bernie in particular, is a millionaire, if not a multi-millionaire. And that was not attained, my friends, by any type of socialism, democratic or otherwise. You know, his wife, Jane, um, it's actually his second wife, um, they have a very large investment portfolio with stakes in America's largest corporations. And in process, they have amassed quite the real estate portfolio. Currently, just so you know, they own a vacation home on picturesque North Hero Island in Vermont's Lake Champlain, and the property boasts 500 feet of lake frontage. In addition to that vacation home, they have a four-bedroom house in Burlington, Vermont, and on top of that, they have a townhouse in Capitol Hill, I'm sorry, a townhouse on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. <clears throat> you know, there's tremendous irony in all of this, if you ask me, because with the Sanders owning three homes... That should not be lost on anyone listening to the show because Bernie, on more than one occasion, has severely chided the rich during various speaking engagements, in particular when it comes to cars. But he has always asked them, how many cars do they need? And sorry for the bad Bernie impression, but that's about as close as I can get. So he's chiding people that he calls, well, it used to be millionaires and billionaires, but now that he's a millionaire, he's dropped that in his criticism of the rich and is only attacking the billionaires. We'll see if that changes when he hits the billionaire mark. But anyways, there is much, much dishonesty, corruption, and hiding of the facts on the part of Bernie Sanders. And there isn't enough time to cover them all in this episode. So what I'm going to do is, one, encourage you to go out and grab a copy of Profiles in Corruption by Peter Schweizer yourself and read it. But in the time that's left, I do want to touch on two subjects from the book. Two things that I learned about Bernie Sanders. And we're going to start being chivalrous. We're going to start with his wife, Jane, and her role in Burlington College. Now, you may not have heard of Burlington College, but in 2004, it was a tiny uh, college uh, that announced that they had a new college president, and that new president was Jane Sanders. She would be taking the helm of the private college, and the college, just so you kind of get an idea of the size-wise, how big this is, they had less than 200 students. However, the school had some very serious problems. Um, shortly before Jane took over as president, the college was implicated in a scandal involving phony diplomas. Um, for suspicion of fraud, forgery, and other crimes, the police actually arrested five executives of a consulting company that ran schools in Israel that included extension of Burlington College and the diploma fraud. The fact that Jane was the wife of a U.S. congressman at the time was an important factor in the school's decision to hire her. Robin Lloyd, a member of the college board at the time, says she and others supported Jane's appointment partly because, quote, we felt that her connection with Bernie would be helpful, certainly in terms of fundraising, end quote. 
Unfortunately, when it was all said and done, Jane steered Burlington College's resources in the same direction as Bernie did his campaign money over the years. It went directly to the family. Now, to give you a little bit more information about the college itself, Burlington College was not cheap. Tuition was over $23,000 a year in the years of 2014 and 15. In addition, the college received millions in federal money over the years, and students could apply for federal government-supported student loans. That flow of money provided funds that could be directed into family enterprises, and beginning in 2009, the nonprofit Burlington College agreed to a deal with the for-profit Vermont Woodworking School to set up a carpentry program. This is very interesting, guys. You see, the school was not accredited and happened to be owned by none other than Jane's daughter, Karina. Burlington College had never in its history had a woodworking program before, and apparently had never sent out a public notice asking for proposals from people who might want to set up one through the college. Karina had launched her Vermont woodworking school less than two years earlier. The first year, the college gave her daughter's school $56,474 for, quote, materials, charges, and lease of bench space, end quote. By 2010, the cash flowing from the college to the family business was more than $133,000. Payments ballooned all the way up to $182,741 in rental costs alone in 2012. In total, Burlington College would funnel more than a half a million dollars to Karina's woodworking school. It should also be mentioned that during this time period, Burlington College was actually struggling to pay its own faculty and their bills. Doesn't that seem odd? I know when I read it, it just shocked me. But let's give them the benefit of the doubt, okay? Let's assume that under Jane's leadership, the education that each student received was top-notch and that they had a very high graduation rate, right? Well, actually... Despite Burlington College's high tuition and small student population, the college's graduation rate was quite abysmal. Students who enrolled in the college in 2007 had a graduation rate of 22%. And that graduation rate of 22% was after six years of being in school. Now, last time I checked, your basic bachelor's degree takes about three to four years. But this was six years later, guys. It's crazy. Now, a higher percentage of 30% actually transferred out of the college. Gosh, it just gets crazy. Despite the academic failings of the college, its continuing financial difficulties and the growing river of funds that were flowing to her daughter's business, Jane's salary as president continued to rise over her term as president. By 2009, she was making $160,000, including benefits. So if you combine her income... With Bernie's, it's clear to see that the Sanders were actually starting to accumulate some real wealth. Sadly, Burlington College ended up closing its doors in 2016. Five years earlier, Jane had left the college in deep financial trouble. But when she walked away, she actually had a considerable severance in hand of $200,000, despite the financial turmoil that the college found itself in. So, that's a brief glimpse of Jane and what she did just with Burlington College. Now, let's switch gears and take a look at Bernie himself. You know, for a U.S. Senator, there really is only one legal way to supplement your income. Formerly, politicians could take speaking fees. 
as Sanders did when he was mayor of Burlington, Vermont. However, in a mission to kibosh that type of thing happening, in 1991, Congress halted the practice of self-enrichment, at least for members of Congress, so you could no longer collect speaking fees. But that wasn't about to put a damper on Bernie's ability to make additional income. Oh, no, 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 no. You see, Bernie Sanders realized, as a U.S. senator, you can boost your income by writing books. And this has been the main explanation why Bernie, by Bernie, I should say, when asked about how he became a millionaire, his reply has always been, quote, if you write a best-selling book, you can be a millionaire too, end quote. And indeed, during his tenure in the U.S. Senate, Sanders has actually written more books than he has written successful and substantive pieces of legislation. According to the U.S. government's GovTrack, Sanders had passed seven pieces of legislation over the course of his entire career in Washington, spanning close to 30 years. Now, do a little math with me here, everyone. That is roughly one piece of legislation every four to four and a half years, if you average it out. What kind of a job is that where you get paid over $100,000 and only have to produce one thing every four to four and a half years? I mean, I'm sure he's did other things. Oh yeah, he did other things. <laughs> he wrote books. But let's carry on with the legislation part of his job. Two of those pieces of legislation were the naming of post offices, and one was to cl- declare a, quote, Vermont Bicentennial Day, end quote. Now, in contrast to his legislative uh, efforts within his job in the Senate, between 2015 and 2019 alone, Sanders released three new books, One was Where We Go From Here, released in 2018. The other was Our Revolution in 2016. And lastly, there was Bernie Sanders' Guide to Political Revolution in 2017. In 2015, he also re-released a previous book with a new title called Outsider in the White House. In one instance, it should be noted that Bernie did not even write the book. Nation Books transcribed and published one of his long speeches on the Senate floor, and appropriately it titled it The Speech. So, as Bernie's book sales boomed, his book advances also have ballooned. He received a $795,000 advance for his book, Our Revolution, and he earned another $63,750 for his teen book entitled Bernie Sanders' Guide to Political Revolution. Sounds like a book every teenager should read, and I am so sarcastic with that, and I hope you picked up on that. But all in all, the Sanders annual income in 2016 and 2017 topped $1 million. $1 million. If there's a Bernie Sanders supporter out there listening to this, your man is a multi-millionaire, and he is saying to you, do as I say, not as I do. He is not living the rhetoric that he is spouting off, guys. And there is so much more in the book that you really need to read it for yourself. Okay? But what I want to do as I wrap up this segment about Bernie is I want to go back to that interview with the author Peter Schweitzer and Glenn Beck, uh, where he's talking specifically about Bernie Sanders. Let's take a listen. The front runners of the Democratic Party and shown where they are really corrupt and dirty. Let's go to Bernie Sanders because people think, oh, no, he's for the little people, although he was a little person and now he's worth millions of dollars. How does that happen in Congress as a public servant? But uh, let's let's spend a few minutes on Bernie Sanders. 
Sure. Uh, you know, Bernie Sanders is an interesting case uh, because Bernie Sanders really since the 1970s has railed against uh, millionaires and billionaires in politics. And he used that phrase uh, for about 37 years. Uh, and then he stopped using that phrase. He said he was only concerned about billionaires mm -hmm. in politics because he's now become a millionaire. And it's, it's been an interesting uh, path to how he's done it. The first thing that emerges, I mean, the Bernie Sanders chapter in the book is probably 40 pages long, something like that. And, and you know, what you find is from the earliest days when he was mayor of um, Burlington, Vermont, one of the first things he did was put his girlfriend, later wife, Jane, on the payroll. Now, the city council never authorized this. He created a position that was not funded. But Bernie's attitude was, be damned. I want my girlfriend on the payroll. She's on the payroll. And from that point forward, there has been a strategy by him to use his government positions, to use campaign funds, to use other resources to enrich his family. So when he started running for Congress, he discovered this loophole that other people in Washington, D.C. have learned, uh, which involves media buys. So, Glenn, if you were running for senator of Texas and I was the media buyer for your campaign and you spent a million dollars on television ads, I would basically take a 15 percent fee or commission for placing those ads. I would get $150,000. The challenge is it would not have to be disclosed anywhere. Nobody knows that I got that $150,000 because the only thing that shows up is the large sum of $1 million. Well, Bernie Sanders figured this out. So, of course, what did he do? He made his wife his media buyer. Um, and it's hard to know exactly how much money they made, um, but if you follow some of the money in paper trail, it's at least $150,000 while he was in Congress. The big payday on this for someone, we don't know yet, but we have our suspicions, came when Bernie Sanders ran for president of the United States in 2016. Now, he spent $83 million on oh media buys. $83 million. So the commission on that is, what, $12 million, something like that. Who did the media buying for him? Well, we don't really know because that $83 million went through a company called Old Town Media, which is registered to a private residential home on a cul-de-sac in Virginia. You're clearly in New York, aren't you, Peter? <laughs> How'd you guess? <laughs> I, I know the sound of that city. Could be 3 a.m. or 3 p.m. That's what it sounds like. You are right. Yeah. Uh, okay, so um, uh, we were talking about Bernie Sanders, and you were starting to tell the story about this 80 or $85 million, uh, million dollar campaign uh, that was on television and ad buying, the last yeah. campaign. You don't know who was doing the buying for that, but that's 15% of that money went to that person. It used to be his wife. It still could be his wife, I would imagine. Well, yes, the, the home. So this, of course, went through Old Town Media, which was just a, set up in a home in suburban Virginia, uh, was linked to uh, two uh, former aides um, that were friends of Jane's that were involved in the media buys before. Now, Jane Sanders was actually asked by a Vermont reporter, a progressive, uh, about this during the 2016 campaign. What did she know about Old Town Media? Was she connected to Old Town Media? Her answer, Glenn, was she hung up the phone. Um, so, you know, we don't know, but what we do know is there's been this pattern with the Sanders family in the past. Um, you know, again, when Bernie Sanders was running for Congress, um, Jane Sanders and her kids actually set up a company uh, called um, a Sanders Media, um, through which they became a contractor for his campaign. Uh, so the pattern certainly uh, uh, fits. Um, and the final piece to this media buying campaign is after that 2016 loss, um, what Bernie did was he set up this 501c4 political action 
group to sort of carry on the revolution. Um, and when it was announced that, that basically that company, or sorry, that entity, was going to engage in massive media buying, half a dozen of the uh, staffers of that group quit in protest because they said, uh, this is not what we signed up for. We thought this was going to be a grassroots campaign, and all this is going to do is make media buyers wealthy. So this is a huge problem, and because the disclosure laws do not require you to disclose who's actually getting the commissions for the media buys, we just simply don't know, but we have our suspicions. Can you tell the Burlington College story quickly? Or is it? Yeah, Burlington College. Um, Jane Sanders uh, is appointed president of the college. Uh, the college board says the reason they picked her essentially was because Bernie was a senator and they thought he could help. Um, she wants to expand the college. They get help from, from, from some very wealthy uh, Vermont uh, families uh, to help that expansion take place. Uh, this is an unknown side of Bernie Sanders. Um, he does not dislike rich people. He only dislikes certain rich people. Those that agree with him and support his activities, he's very supportive of. But basically what happens is Burlington College can't make the payments um, uh, to, uh, to pay for this loan that they've taken out to expand. Part of the problem is that Jane Sanders, as president of the college, funnels uh, about half a million dollars of the college's money uh, to her daughter's woodworking uh, school, which is unaccredited. It's unclear whether the college um, uh, committee or leadership even approved that transaction, but the college basically collapsed, and there's been a lot of scandal around it because the claims are that Jane Sanders made a lot of claims about money that was promised to the college to make this happen. When uh, investigators, including the FBI, went and met with those individuals, they said, no, I never made that pledge. So there have been allegations that there were fraud uh, on these uh, applications to get the bank loans to begin with. What do you think his supporters do if they would ever, you know, pick up your book and read uh, this? Do you think, I mean, you know, I think these young kids, they believe it. And they believe he's just an old fart that has been saying these things, and he believes it. At least he's honest. And uh, when you look at the corruption, I mean, it's the way the Soviet Union works. I mean, you know, or used to work, um, where you, you know, if you're part of the political elite, you get a special lane on the highway. What do you think his his deep supporters would think of what you outline in the book? Well, I think uh, they would be shocked if they looked at it. What I would say to them, even if you don't want to buy the book, what I would encourage Bernie Sanders supporters to do is look at his rhetoric uh, where he says he's a socialist, he does not like corporate America, he believes corporations are evil, and then actually look at his investment portfolio. Um, his investment portfolio is in blue chip Fortune 500 stock. He, by the way, this is very interesting, Glenn. You know, a lot of people know there's this phenomenon of sort of socially responsible investment yes. funds, and mm -hmm. Bernie doesn't invest in those. Bernie invests in Fortune 500 company stock. When Jane ran Burlington College, they had a small endowment. Uh, they had stock in tobacco companies. They had stock in pharmaceutical companies, chemical companies. There is a yawning gap between mm -hmm. how Bernie Sanders thinks we should live our lives and the way that he and his wife actually live their life. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, in your book, yeah, Profiles yeah. of Corruption, take her on. She's chapter five. Yes. Uh, so All right. We're going to go ahead and cut that off there because <clears throat> I don't want to give anything else away when you talk about good old Elizabeth Warren. But in a nutshell, guys, it is so clear that Joe Biden and Joe Biden's family, Bernie Sanders and Bernie Sanders' family, and so many others that are talked about in that book they've mastered those six steps to enriching themselves. They're doing it. They're liars. They're hypocrites. And like I said at the outset, I'm sure that there are Republicans that have figured out the same thing and doing the same thing. But again, it, you know, we, we have more information about the Democrats and that's why I wanted to focus on them in this episode. So in wrapping it all up, I totally 
would encourage you to get your hands on a copy of Profiles in Corruption by Peter Schweizer. Read the book. And if you have someone that is at least open to learning a little bit about the truth, have them read it. You know, worst thing is, the worst thing that can happen is they don't believe it. But maybe we'll turn a light on and the truth will start to come out. You know, that's it for me this week, guys. And as always, I really appreciate you tuning in and ask that you subscribe to the podcast if you like what I'm doing. Please share with others you know and be sure to give it a five-star rating. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with me or leave comments about the show, as always, I'm on all major social media platforms. You can email me at redpillpatriot.fan at fastmail.com. That's redpillpatriot.fan at fastmail.com. You can find me on Facebook at Red Pill Patriot Show. Twitter, it's at Red Pill Patriot. However, it's R3D Pill Patriot. Uh, had to replace the E in red with a three. On Instagram, at Red Pill Patriot Show. And on Minds.com, at Red Pill Patriot. And lastly, on Parlor, Red Pill Patriot Show. That's how you can get in touch with me. So never say I didn't give you a way to reach out to me. Lastly, I want to just make sure you understand that truth is only common sense clarified. Until next time, America. This is Dr. Matt for the Red Pill Patriot Show. Your American dream has a wide picket fence on the landscape lawn with a 30-year fixed a pretty little wife laying out by the pool a mercedes-benz and a couple of kids in a fancy private school a six-figure hobby with a 401k paints a pretty scene on the silver screen but that stuff just ain't for me my American dream is a bottle of beam Turned up when the sun goes down Kid rock and coal on the stereo Bunch of rowdy friends getting loud Down by the riverside, girls looking fine In tank tops and cut-off jeans You can keep your fancy fantasy And I'll keep living my American dream Tied in the Tennessee lottery My American dream is a bottle of beam Turned up when the sun goes down Kid rock and coal on the stereo Bunch of rowdy friends getting loud Down by the riverside Girls looking fine in tank tops and cut off jeans Keep your high society And I'll keep living my American dream Club. But if you're down for some old 
the sun goes down. Kid rock and coal on the stereo, bunch of rowdy friends getting loud. Down by the riverside, girls looking fine in tank tops and cut off jeans. Keep your high society, and I'll keep living my.